I don't want to miss funerals, period. If there's a funeral of somebody I'm connected to or love, it's a priority to me. I want to be there. I don't shrug my shoulders and go, oh, it won't make any difference if I'm there or not. It will, and you should be there. That's what I think. So that's, that's kind of a family value for us is that we show up at funerals. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Well, Stephen, you're back in Texas. Mark, I have... I'm making an unplanned for trip to Texas, which is bittersweet. Can I tell you why? Tell it to me. It's bitter because I'm here for a funeral and my life seem I seem to be collecting funerals lately. Um, it's sweet because the man who has died is my my just dearest uncle. Um, and he is a great godly man and he was suffering for, for the past few years from Parkinson's and was increasingly debilitated and so uh, we're all kind of thrilled that he's dead um, because he's been released from this body that had, that's expiration date had, had already come and gone and he was trapped yes. in, an, in an unstable mind, etc. You know, that, that kind of scene. And, uh, you know, there's not a doubt in any of our minds that he's being richly rewarded right now. And so anyways, that's why it's bittersweet. Um, it's also bittersweet. Uh, there's more sweetness, I should say. Because uh, right now I'm speaking to you from uh, Roger and Linda's house. Just uh, had a fabulous uh, lunch. Some delicious pinto beans that my mother makes with, uh, you know, there's jalapenos in there. There's onions in there. It's a good ranchy. It's almost a soup of a bean. And, of course, she had to throw in some cornbread. And so, uh, and we finished it off some bluebell ice cream. So, all's well. Mm. I believe that last time I was at Roger and Linda's house, I had some of this bean stew. Oh, really? As well. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was I was asked if I wanted any foods prepared, and and this is one of the things I asked for. So, anyhow. Well, I I know I think a a lot of where you you are when you're at a funeral that is for someone who suffered a long time. Um, yeah. That was certainly our experience in the funeral we were at and prepared and and held this summer. So, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting that we both are having that experience at the yeah. same time. We, we have a lot to say on the subject. So, I think what w- I'm just suggesting this, you knock this down if you want, how about if I just spend a moment talking about the, the, the biblical concept of funerals, then you, you share your awesome experience and whatever else you want, and then I'll talk about something that we've, um, 
we've experienced that's that's a it's a grieving thing it's not necessarily about funerals but it's a grieving thing that we do in our family that i think is a real good move how's that sound yeah let's do it i think that i would love to give a quick a quick review of my experience and then also a few tips on how to throw a great funeral excellent Okay, well, I'm just going to start with a little bit of a Bible review, and if you have anything to pitch in, go for it. Um, I'll start with with this passage from Ecclesiastes 6. Uh, it's verse 3. And King Solomon wrote, A man may have a hundred children and live many years. By the way, I'm interrupting myself with my very first verse. Tomorrow, Lyle Lovett has a song called The Family Reserve. And the, the concept of the song is every time you get together for a family funeral, you, you get to see who's left. And, and you rejoin with these people and you tell everybody, we'll get together at the next family reserve. Um, and and at, at my family reserve, which is happening tomorrow, I'm very excited to see my great aunt. It'll be my daughter's great, great aunt, who is presently 100 years old. Uh, that's my aunt Vivian, and she came to mind because of this verse. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity, Abraham's wallet, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Isn't that an interesting verse? King Solomon wisest guy ever says a man can have a hundred children live many years yet no matter how long he lives if he can't enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial i say a stillborn child is better off than he so that begs the question what is a proper burial scripturally so scripturally a person is considered yeah go ahead it's where you float them out on a raft and then hit it with a flaming arrow, right? And then you play My Way by Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Oh, I want I wanted like uh, Valhalla music okay. by Led Zeppelin, but no. keep going. No, that's not correct. Okay, so biblically and scripturally, a person is considered to have been given a, a proper burial if his remains are properly covered or wrapped in a fine material. So, for instance, fine fine linen would be a proper material. We'd hear hear, hear of that in the Bible. Putting in a casket is also being covered or wrapped in a fine material and laid in a tomb. So, that being the case, we have a lot of examples, biblically, of somebody receiving a proper burial. Jesus received a proper burial. He was was wrapped in, in fine material and put into a tomb. David received a proper burial. I'll give you some references in case anybody cares. We see Jesus's burial in Matthew 27, 50, verses, and then verses 57 through 60. David received a proper burial. That's mentioned in Acts 2, 29. When John the Baptist died, his, his disciples took his body and buried it, Matthew 14, 12. Um, when Stephen died, the Bible says that devout men buried him. That's Acts 8, 2. And when Ananias and Sapphira died, young men buried them. Acts 5, 6, and 10. Contrast this with something that is 
unacceptable, it is dishonorable, it's not a proper burial, is if anyone is simply left to the elements. My, my father, um, who, who some of us know from previous uh, podcasts, he always makes the joke, listen, when I'm dead, I won't need the body anymore and it will be good to nobody. You can throw it out into the forest and the raccoons can have it. That's, that, that's my dad's big joke. Um, haha, hilarious joke from my dad. However, that's not going to happen because that's improper biblically. So a, a curse biblically would be, um, this is Jeremiah 16, 4. This is a curse. They will die of deadly diseases. They will not be lamented or buried. They will be as dung on the surface of the ground and come to an end by sword and famine, and their carcasses will become food for the birds of the sky and for the beasts of the earth. It is not good for you to be left to the elements or to the animals. Um, there, Of course, there are unusual circumstances. Well, let's say somebody gets eaten by a shark. Let's say somebody dies at sea where, where a burial is not... Uh, possible and those are improper those are improper burials so the bible does not talk to us about uh funeral services what a funeral service should be that's a that's a tradition that that has been passed along um there are there are a couple of things where we give some we get some ideas about how people respond to deaths um, we know beginning back in Genesis 23 two, Sarah mourns for Abraham after he dies. We don't know exactly what that looks like. There are days of mourning um, for Esau in Genesis 27:41. There's days of mourning for Moses in Deuteronomy 34:8. There's fasting for Saul and Jonathan when they die in 2 Samuel 1:12. Um, there's the tearing and putting on uh, tearing of clothes and putting on sackcloth. A sackcloth is just a it's a rough it's a rough cloth like like muslin cloth or burlap something like that for Avner in Second Samuel three thirty one. So we know that there's that grieving for the dead and there's a lot in the Bible about grieving before the Lord, crying out to Him, etc. We know that's fine. The Bible just doesn't give us instructions regarding a, a funeral service, but we know that it's proper to bury. So I, I say all of that as a setup. Um, my, my point of that is there are some traditions that are very prescriptive on what funerals look like. But and I mean, there's no there's certainly nothing wrong with honoring whatever tradition you come from. We, but we shouldn't conflate that with God's word and God's word just simply doesn't tell us what to do to, to honor the dead. It doesn't tell us to have funeral service, et cetera. So these things are very open to interpretation. Um, you know, I feel comfortable with what I grew up with, which we can talk about. Um, I have some thoughts. I have performed many funerals. I'm going to perform one for my uncle tomorrow. Um, and I, I like what, I like what we've come up with, but I also think in many ways, as I'll say, uh, you know, after you talk, I think that what we do as Americans is largely insufficient. It, it doesn't properly, um, I think give attention, give attention to death and grief and mourning as it should be. 
because we're quick to kind of wipe the tears from our eyes, say, let's move on and, and proceed. I, I don't know that that's the best thing for humans to do. Um, all I want to establish here up front is that um, there, God wants the dead honored. He, there, our bodies, First uh, Corinthians 6, I believe, says that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. I'll check that while you talk. Um, so we honor a body that, that, that the Lord made and that the Lord loves, even after the Spirit has left that body. And certainly we have a time of thanks to God for what this person has meant to us. So I just, I just say all that to say, now we're going to talk about what we think of the situation. And I, I want to hear your experience and, and yeah. it's a negotiable. That's my point. So first Corinthians 15 is, is one of your big passages when it comes to bodies uh, and what happens to the body and all that, because we know that we're going to be given new bodies and where there's even talk of raising of the dead and things like that. So a lot of people get nervous when it comes to, well, what, what if, what if I do the wrong thing with the body? Is that going to put uncle Jeb in, in a, you know, right. Is he going to just have to live in an urn in the new heavens and the new earth? Right. Um, first Corinthians 15 says, someone may ask, how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come? How foolish what you saw does not come to life unless it dies. When you saw, you you do not, or sorry, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there also will be a spiritual body. The first man was of dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So I think that's an interesting little passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49, that talks about um, not just the body, but the fact that anybody that gets put into one of these bodies um, is going to also have a spiritual body. Um, and I think it's pretty pretty cool to, to think about when, when you're at a funeral, whether, whether you see a body there or not, um, that... Everybody that, that goes into one of these containers is going to have a, a forever container as well. Yes. So I thought I would be as practical as possible while kind of sharing snippets of my own experience. I think we've talked about it on the podcast. My father-in-law passed away this summer after about a decade of a really horrific and debilitating illness called frontotemporal dementia or frontal temporal degeneration, FTD. It changes your personality entirely almost from the onset. And then you live sometimes for a decade uh, as a mm. different person and it slowly becomes harder and harder for you to function. So for about the last two years of his life, he was not able to communicate at all, uh, maybe longer, maybe three or four. Um, not able to communicate at all. There was definitely a time when he was not able to um, do anything for himself, uh, towards, towards the last year or two. Um, 
and it was tough. So I was kind of, I mean, it was such a good thing that he was able to go home. This is a guy who was the, the turnaround man for his family really changed the course of my family, obviously, because I'm down line from him, but, um, first believer in his family. That's amazing. Um, and the ripple effects were huge. And I got a chance to speak at this funeral. My brother-in-law will gave the main talk. Um, and I don't think that always has to happen, but if it's possible that your son can eulogize mm. you, um, man, it was pretty powerful. Um, so a couple things just to keep in mind, I, I would say, as you're thinking about a funeral, um, second Corinthians five, eight says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I'm going to kind of talk mostly about what to do when somebody who follows Jesus passes away. <laughs> but then I'm also going to talk a little bit because there might be people listening who go, well, I lost a parent. Absolutely. And they were, they were not a believer. And I actually think that there's some things we can do there too. That's great. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I really, there's this scene from the, wonderful and profane television show the wire um where when the police officers would die they would have a wake for each of them and it was like the body was laying there on a pool table and all the police officers came by and had a shot of whiskey and talked about what a great whatever dude jimmy mcnulty was back when he was jimmy mcnulty uh and I always kind of thought, you know, if I was to die, whether it was at an old age or, uh, or unexpectedly that I would be delighted if the people who I loved got together and just, uh, had this type of celebration for me, uh, mainly because of this verse, uh, you know, we're not, we aren't. Uh, sort of dead and waiting for the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead before we are uh, reunited with him. Uh, right. Folks who, who die, they are with the Lord. Um, we could get into a lot of theological uh, minutiae here, but... Um, what was, was that verse again, Mark, that to, to, to be absent in the body is present with the Lord? Second Corinthians 5.8. That's good. But if you're dealing with someone who especially had suffering or illness, um, but honestly, they could have been having the greatest life ever. I think <laughs> to know that they are in the presence of the king experiencing the fullness of everything that they just got a little bit of a shadow of here on earth, um, that's a pretty joyful thing. And um, it's why I don't, I don't think even for the funerals I've been a part of that have been pretty rough. You know, we've, we've been at a couple of COVID funerals in the past year, which that happened really fast. Nobody had time to prepare and it was devastating. Um, but we still kind of hang on to this one. And that's kind of the headline for me at a funeral, because I I'm interested to hear as you talk more about honoring, um, I've always kind of thought, well, one of the big reasons we do funerals is to um, comfort those who are still here yes. and who are mourning. And so this is this is comfort point number one for me when I'm at a funeral of somebody who is in the presence of the Lord now. That's great. Um, 
Point number two, you at a funeral, <laughs> if you're planning one, it's kind of like a wedding. There's only a couple things that you're going to do in your life where you have a rare chance to say whatever the heck you want and people are, for the most part, stuck listening to it. True. Um, and I would say take advantage of this unique opportunity. So, you know, I knew at my father-in-law's funeral that we were going to have people who love Jesus and totally were going to be nodding their heads as we talked about this guy who spent an hour every morning in his study praying. Uh, and I knew there was going to be people who would were openly hostile to all things spiritual. Um, and I, I think it was a unique opportunity to uh, kind of burst the bubble of folks who would have said, well, religion is about judgment and being kind of holier than thou and, you know, just the stereotypes that people have, uh, about a religious person. Um, because I was able to say to that crowd, I said, you know, when I asked my wife, what do you remember from your childhood about your dad? The number one thing she said was, oh, he woke up every morning and spent time with God. Wow. And if, if I woke up early, there was a light on in the study and that's what was happening. Um, she did not have a super tight relationship with her dad where they would talk on the phone all the time and share their deepest thoughts with each other. That wasn't their relationship, but she said, this is my main remembrance of who he was and his legacy. And it totally had ripple effects through our whole family. It changed her life as an adult. There was a time a few years ago where my wife kind of woke up and went, I think my dad actually was onto something here and I'm going to start doing the same thing. Mm. So it was a unique opportunity to say that to this group of people. And then to say, if you're in this room, which was a whole bunch of different types of people, you are one of the people that Russ was praying for, Mm. for the last 60 years when he was waking up at 5am every morning. And I I think that was pretty uh, impactful, even to people who would have said, I totally disagreed with that guy on, on spiritual things. Um, so I don't think you need to stand up there and try to crunk people over the head at a funeral, but oftentimes it's an opportunity when someone was really faithful to sort of say, you know, this person, they would have had one wish for, for you people that are here. Uh, and I guarantee you for, for my father-in-law, he, he probably prayed for just about every person that was in that room by name over the years. So, yeah. Cool, cool opportunity. Yes. Um, I, I, I want to stress strongly, uh, if you're young, you, you might not, you might not have had these opportunities. Um, when you get into middle age, late middle age, you start having opportunities to speak at funerals and really one, one important thing, this is from that same chapter you're reading from first Corinthians 15, which is all about death and resurrection. Um, verse 26 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Uh, Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And believers do not have fear of death. We could go back to the episode with my parents talking about death and uh, when my dad said he wasn't afraid of Covis. Um, 
he was there they are agreeing with this biblical idea that we're not afraid of death and people if i could grab you by the lapels i would tell you there is no time when people are more interested than hearing hearing about eternity than when they're at a funeral because that's right a funeral gives us all the opportunity to peek over the ledge and look what's down there and to consider my funeral day is coming and what what are the implications to me am i prepared at all to meet my maker etc so we must take the i'm i'm going to have the privilege tomorrow of burying a pastor my uncle was a pastor and this man performed hundreds of funerals and never once did he perform a funeral where he didn't share the gospel with people and say, it's not too late for you today. You can have the same peace that I have. You can have the same peace that Earl had laying in this casket, which is that we don't fear death because that thing is taken care of. So I just want to urge people, like, if ever you are going to take an opportunity to be bold and talk about where your faith and your hope lies, it must be at a funeral. Yes, I, that was on my list of... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I ripped off one of your bullet points. <laughs> no, I just I want to reinforce. Um, I think that's one of the key ingredients. Share the freaking gospel yes. when you're at a funeral. Because Such a layup. I think the same is true at a wedding. And I was kind of talking about that captive audience thing. But man, it's... People are, are kind of asking questions and... Um, you know, I think the line that I used at this recent one was the good news is not that you're okay, people. The good news is that you can be forgiven. And yes, um, it's just that is excellent. You said that at the funeral. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's a critical ingredient to a good funeral. I think that's true. Even if the person that you're funeraling didn't agree with it, couldn't but agree more. We'll get there. We'll get there in a second. Yeah. Um, you know, there's people who probably in the audience, if you're putting one of these things together, who will probably disagree, like I said, profoundly with what you're going to say about God and the afterlife. And if you're listening to this, maybe it's a long time from when we're recording it, that you went back and found this because it came time for you to put a funeral together. Do not tailor the funeral to make everyone feel totally comfortable. Um, here, here. You need to tell these people the truth. That's right. And um, I, I think that, you know, worst case, you get a pass from people who disagree with you. But best case, you know, the, the funeral I'm kind of referencing today, a bunch of friends recorded videos uh, and, and ha they played those videos during the funeral. And one of the guys was a coworker of my father-in-law's at a medical school. And they said, he said, you know, I loved this guy. He always respected me and he always would talk to me about God. And I know that one of the greatest disappointments that he had was that I never, um, that I never came to agree with him about Jesus. Um, and you know, that guy was not upset that, that, that Russ had shared the gospel with him repeatedly. Right. Uh, he was like, it really touched me that he continued to share this with me, not out of a desire to win the argument, because he really honestly believed that this was important. And so sometimes I even think 
people who don't agree with you can be really uh, awesome ingredients in mm. showing the world this is a faithful person and what they looked like. Because nobody stood up and said, well, he was a blowhard right. who was con- constantly trying to prove himself right. Uh, but they did say he never stopped sharing about this Jesus that you're hearing everyone else talk about today. And uh, uh, I know that it was the most important thing to him. Great. So honor that and don't tailor the funeral to just make everyone feel totally comfortable. You might be surprised at the mileage you get out of some people feeling very uncomfortable. That's great. Go on. I'm enjoying this. So I think whenever possible, anchor your funeral to a, something that's a longer line than just the one person. Um, you know, we started the funeral out with bagpipes and a guy in a kilt came and played Amazing Grace and walked down the aisle. You might think, well, that's just a funeral thing. But for this family, for my wife's family, they're Scottish. My brother-in-law is very involved with the clan from Scotland that he his family originates from. And that was explained uh, to the group right at the start of the funeral. Hey, we didn't just do that because bagpipes are moody and cool. We wanted you to know that this is a part of who we are as a family. That's a really simple way to connect uh, this guy's life to something longer than himself. But I think anywhere you can do that, do it. So, Well, let me inter- interject there. T- two things. One is if if your family has to be involved with a clan make it a clan from scotland here here okay and then secondly i need to put a little rim shot after that secondly a funeral as you're saying you you can do this at a, at a at a wedding but a funeral feels like the most obvious moment to, to thread together the multi-generational story of a family and I've actually talked to my daughter I was only only able to bring one daughter with me to this funeral tomorrow and of course she's been hearing many stories many family stories and I told her this is what being a part of the family is like that you are you are now the extension of these stories when you meet Aunt Vivian tomorrow who she met as a little as a little thing but doesn't remember it you know, Aunt Vivian will die soon, but you will have met her. You you will know her. You will hear the childhood stories of your great uncle, Gerald, etc. And so that as you're talking about the bagpipes, you know, your children are going to have memories of, of those bagpipes. And it, it just seems like an obvious place. We're about multi-generational family building. And a, a funeral is a, is, and I'm, I'll get to my little morning practices, it's a time to tell stories and to keep um, putting threads through that loom that's building a multi-generational story. So I just wanted to reiterate that. Yeah, that's right. You know, another way we do this, we kind of tried to go up and down the line. Um, we had our kids all participate in the service. And so... I talked, the kids did a, a scripture memory that just, they read Psalm, they all had memorized Psalm 23. And so they, they said that we're going to do the same thing. That's exactly what we're doing. My daughter's reciting Psalm 23. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. But then I also told 
the whole audience and maybe maybe this felt to some people like I was bragging but that's okay because I was trying to brag on this patriarch um but I just had all those kids up there and I said look at them really closely because they're all like my talk was all about how we're building on a foundation that we didn't pour and that Mm. these kids are going to be building on you know they're going to be adding second story additions um and it's pretty cool in this case because it was we were dealing with the the first generation Jesus lover in in, in that side of the family. Um, so, anyways, I think up and down the line, and then tied to family vision, really good thing. I kind of mentioned that there was all sorts of people that participated in this. I think a diversity of voices is a really good thing. So, go find people from work. We weren't sure about that in this case. Especially because my father-in-law was really not himself for a long time before, even before people knew he was sick, he started behaving in a way that was very um, strange and we didn't know what was going on. But so there was some nerves around, hey, well, is he going to have kind of alienated some people who would have spoken well of him, things like that. But we decided, hey, let's put out the, the invite to former colleagues and friends and things like that. And it ministered to my mother-in-law so much to hear all of the things that came in that people were willing to not just put on a card and say, sorry for your loss, but to, to stand up on a video that would last forever and tell stories of this guy and talk about how he ministered to them and, and all those, those things. So um, you might be surprised by what comes out when you cast the net wide and say, does anybody have something to say for this person? So you threw an invite out, people videoed themselves and submitted it to an email address? That's right. Oh, that's terrific. And then you kind of took the best of and and made it part of the service. That's right. That's great. Um, The last thing I would say is, you know, should family speak or participate is kind of a question. That decision could go either way. It kind of depends. My mother-in-law was in in no spot necessarily to to be a speaker. I think she did welcome people and thank people for coming. But for the most part, I think our audience is is mostly family-aged dads that are listening to this. And I would say if you get a chance uh, to speak at a parent's funeral or an aunt or an uncle, um, hopefully it, you don't get a lot of chances to speak at a sibling's funeral, but any of that stuff, um, I think it's a pretty unique opportunity. Like, like we mentioned earlier to just use it to, to build your family and put some, some permanent like, uh, Ebenezer's in the ground that you can point back to years later. I, I won't judge anyone who decides to have a pastor preach a sermon here, but if you can get family to be the main voices at these things, I think that's a really strong play. If anyone asks you, well, you might you be willing to say a few words, your answer is always yes. Um, because of the platform it gives you, because of the reps to be a leader, to share the gospel to a group, to tell the family story in some, some way, um, and I just want to throw this out. We haven't yet said this, but funerals are, are friggin' important. And, and I think 
they should be a priority. I'm the kind of guy that I don't want to miss funerals, period. If there's a funeral of somebody I'm connected to or love, it's a priority to me. I want to be there. I don't shrug my shoulders and go, oh, it won't make any difference if I'm there or not. It will, and you should be there. That's what I think. So that's that's kind of a family value for us is that we show up at funerals because because there's so it's such a unique thing in our culture. It's it is by virtue of its of of what it is. It's multi generational. It is a place where people are asking eternal questions. They're asking questions about life and death. As you said, when you take that stage, what is anybody going to say if you say, I'm going to take five minutes and tell you all how I met Jesus for the first time. Everybody's going to go, okay, whatever you got to do. Okay. It's, it's wide open. You could walk up to a stranger at a graveside and say, you know, I've been thinking about what happens to us when we die. And that person will just sit there and listen to you because we're all on the same, we're on this very unique wavelength. So I, I just got to say, let's give it up for funerals and let's be men who participate in them. Yeah. So the last thing I'll, I'll say about Russ's funeral, it was really cool. I I don't know. Maybe I'll put a link to, to the whole thing in this. Ooh. If you're pl- planning a funeral someday and want to see that, I actually have never been to a, one that hit me quite as much like, wow, that, that nailed it. Um, so that's not to toot my horn. My mother-in-law uh, in her grief still was able to do most of the planning, but, um, you can check it out. Some things that you wouldn't be able to see on the video are, um, afterwards there was this really nice time together. And I think we mentioned it on, on a previous podcast where we had food trucks. So it wasn't, uh, depressing snacks in the church lobby. (laughs) It was the best ice cream, homemade ice cream sandwiches I've ever had in my life and craft sliders from burgers and fried chicken sliders. And it wasn't peanuts and Hawaiian punch in the fellowship hall. Right. Exactly. So, um, I actually thought that was pretty cool. Just a chance to connect with everybody. And for me, being one of the younger guys there, I got to talk to probably 20 old guys who had a lot of wisdom to share. So I just, I got a ton from, from the after party, which was, uh, powered by, powered by delicious food trucks. (laughs) I would say Russ is the one that's really enjoying the after party. You guys just had to do a little mingling afterwards. He's going to be like, you think those ice cream sandwiches are good? (laughs) Wait till you taste these. (laughs) But I did want to say a couple things really quickly just about if you're not in the situation of, wow, we're celebrating somebody who's with with Jesus now. I think that's really hard. Um, I think it's probably one of the hardest things you can do is to try to put that funeral together if you are a a disciple of Christ. Um, And so I think just like people we talked about, if you're at a funeral for someone who is with Jesus are thinking about death, they're also thinking about death. If you're at a funeral of someone who isn't with Christ. And I think this is still a really good time to talk about death because everyone's thinking about it. Yep. Um, So 
So Psalm 39, 4 says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Yes. Uh, if COVID and pandemic and all that jazz hasn't got you at least thinking a little bit more about how transient you are, then I don't know what to tell you. But for me, it has. And I think everyone's put in that mindset a little bit when they're at a funeral, whether they're 12 or 95. Um, Dude, what verse is that? You're, you're killing it today. Psalm 39, 4. That's great. Um, Job 8, 9. There's a lot. You could just read the whole book of Job. There's a lot of verses to this effect in the book of Job. But 8, 9 says, For we are only of yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are as a shadow. So if you want some verses to remind you, you know, Memento Mori was like a practice that people would put a skull or some reminder of death on their desks um, back in in the day. And I think that there there's value to keeping this idea that we are yes. a short-lived phenomenon always at the front of our minds. Some people think that's morbid. I think it's super encouraging to, to take advantage and not worry about tomorrow and focus on today, but, but also don't start planning like you have control over everything that's going to happen between now and your planned death at age 115. Well, we purify ourselves by remembering this hope that we have beyond this life, which is really interesting language. We purify ourselves. We purify the way that we'll live today if we remember that I was built for eternity. I was built for something longer than this body, which is going to erode and crumble. I was built for the long haul, and what I do today can have eternal ramifications. That will yeah. purify us. Yep. Um if you want a New Testament verse, I sure if do. You're, if you're worried that the only verses that talk about transience of, of humans are Old Testament, uh, James 4.14 says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Um, so those are all verses you could kick out to people and say, Hey, we're here because life isn't forever. And... I think, you know, I was talking to my pastor about what do you do if you're ever in a funeral situation for someone who didn't believe. And he says, number one, you share the gospel because you're going to share some of those verses I just read or something to yep. that effect. And you're going to say, hey, um, everyone's here because we're thinking about death. We're so sad that we lost so-and-so here. And, you know, the good news is if we're if you're worried about this right now, there's good news. You can yes. be... You can be not worried about it anymore. Yes. You can be like Roger Manuel, who says he never really uh, he never really had any nervousness about death since he received Christ at age 18. So um, most people are full of crap when they say stuff yes. like that, but not Roger. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's my last thing in this case. Don't say niceties. Do not lie to people and no. say, well, we know that. No, you know, never say Bob that. here is in a better place. That's nope. that's really dishonoring to uh, the king if you're talking yes. like that at someone's funeral. So it's okay to honor someone for the good they did. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can even 
you know, let's say you're the, the Abraham generation in your family and you're talking about somebody who didn't love Jesus and they still built things into you and the, the, the Lord's going to use to build your family over generations. So point those out. Um, they're, you're not excluded from doing this multi-generational line tracing, but, uh, don't, don't you dare say they're in heaven now if you're pretty sure they aren't. Here, here. That's excellent. I have nothing to add to that. That's home run. Having done funerals for people, for even the people closest to them were like, well, I th- think he, I mean, he went to church a couple of times. I, I hope he prayed. So we, we're, we're all just choosing to believe he's in a better place. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not saying that. Nobody has any confidence about where he is. So you, you, you concentrate on the, on the people in the room and go, yeah. let's talk about you all and let's talk about death, which takes me to my, uh, subject, um, h- how we all process death and American culture is almost completely moot on the subject of grief. So, so Christian Americans have a little bit of a tradition about something like funerals, but American culture in itself ha- has nothing to say about death. Um, really vapid, really empty. And so um, what I've chosen to do is to take a lesson from a culture that is older, more resilient, built on deeper biblical roots, and that is Jewish culture. And Jewish culture has a tradition you might have heard of, which is called sitting Shiva. So sitting Shiva is a Jewish practice um, that traditionally lasts seven days. And and Shiva is just a word that means seven. That, that's all it means, like sitting seven. Traditionally, it's seven days. Um, we had a, a dear friend uh, who recently died. We didn't have we didn't have seven days to give to him. We we actually didn't think it would be appropriate to do seven days for him. We we did an afternoon of of what I'm going to describe. So un- until burial, this is the way that Jews do it. Until burial, the focus is on the deceased, and you spend all of your time. I'll put a little plug in here for um, an article that we wrote about um, survivors and, and how to how to navigate uh, being the survivor of a death, particularly the death of a spouse, which is a really discombobulating time for a lot of people. So we wrote an article and, and we actually have a guide to give to people about um, how to navigate some of that. So until burial, the focus is on the deceased, getting their affairs in order, getting the funeral right, taking care of them, taking care of their last concerns. After burial, Shiva begins. It, it, it literally begins, it begins as soon as the, as the funeral is over. You, you go back to the home of those who are closest to the person who has passed. It'll be the home of the deceased, if they have family that are still there, or a principal mourner, and it becomes headquarters for sitting Shiva. It's a time of communal healing in which friends and family are simply with each other. Okay, so, so here's how it works. So you, 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 got your, you got your host home, the headquarters. 
but that I, I call it headquarters because the family that the family the home where it is should not be considered the host home at all they're not they're not hosts their home is a place where where the grievers are cared for and given attention there's no food there's no hospitality provided but the home is a kind of open house for mourning and visitors typically bring food into the house with them um, or, or they'll send food. And, and so there's a couple of rules about the way the house works for, the, for whatever period sitting Shiva is. So years ago, we had a, a dear friend who was a real friend and, and a spiritual father to me and my wife, a guy named Peb Smith, who died. And so we decided to do, I think, three days at our house. And so it, it worked like this. First of all, the Shiva house, it looks unusual. You might have seen this in, in movies about Jewish people in the morning or whatever. All the mirrors in the house are covered. Any, everybody's hair and whiskers are unkept. You're not supposed to brush or comb your hair. You don't do up with makeup. You don't do your hair because these things signify that we're not engaged in selfish concerns or vanity during this time. That kind of comes from 2 Samuel 14 too. Everybody, everybody wears plain clothes. So this is where black clothes, gray clothes, muted colors, no bright clothes, no screens are on. There's no music. There's no games. Um, nothing that could be seen as frivolous or even joyous. And mourners sit low, often even on the floor, and a candle is often lit, which is a representative of the spiritual or of eternity. So there's... <laughs> I hope, I hope I'm painting a picture of this house is a very plain, not a lot going on kind of a scene. Making a shiva call, I'm putting that in quotes, a shiva call is when you drop by, there's no invitation needed, you drop by to the house of the mourners. When you do so, you are entering into the ongoing grief of this place. Nobody greets you at the door. You, you would have gotten an, gotten an invite or there would be a sign on the door that says, you know, Shiva's being observed here. Or, you know, if you let, what, I, what I did recently was I sent out an email that described all of these things. And then I just said, look, here's the time to come by. Nobody's going to greet you at the door. Do what you want. We're just observing this time. You can join us if you want. Um, I think I might turn this into an article for people to have. Uh, nobody greets you at the door and you don't need to greet anyone when you enter. So let's say there's 10 people sitting on the floor in the living room. When you walk in, you don't go, hi, everybody. Hi. Hello. Hello. You just enter quietly. Yeah. You just enter whatever's going on. And people take their shoes off. You might sit low, too. You're, you're being humble. We're kind of entering into grief. And we join the mourners. If you have food, you just drop it off in the kitchen. You don't need to talk to anybody. That's the scene. Okay, what do you do? And if, and if I didn't set this up well enough, I think we'd have to draw a fence around a time where we're going to think and talk about these things. Because the American mindset is, they're dead. That's very sad. I'm going to get over it. Why? Okay, stiff upper lip. Let's move forward. I don't think that's healthy for us spiritually or emotionally or relationally i think having this time is really beneficial so here are the activities around shiva they're really specific and there's not very many of them first of all the things i'm going to describe 
the ones who kind of set the tone for what's happening at any given moment are the mourners who are closest to the deceased. In, in your case, your mother-in-law, I presume, would it, everything would be at, at her home. Again, she's not hosting anything. People are bringing her food, and they're just entering into her mourning when they come around. So they, if she's crying softly in the corner, nobody says a word. You sit down with her, even if you're there for three hours, and not a word is said. If she's not into talking, nobody talks. Now, this is the picture of Job. You mentioned Job, of the friends coming with him, and they sit quietly, and nobody speaks because the guy is completely torn up. And the best way to be friends with him at that time is to shut your mouth and to sit there and just just give them, this is a very pop psychology thing I'm about to say, give them the gift of presence. So when, when whoever the, the kind of headquarter home is gives the green light, here's what you can do. You could share good memories of the deceased. So visitors often bring photographs of the deceased. So recently for this thing that we held at our house for our friend Michael O'Shields, people had photos that they had taken of him. We want to see those. We, we love Michael. We, we want to see the photos and we want to hear people's stories. So we had a friend come in, our friend Dawn. She starts telling about when Michael came to Cincinnati, he shared, he taught on forgiveness. She talked about her relationship with her mother and she went all the way to uh, when my mother was dying on her deathbed with no guile in my heart. I looked her in the eye and said, I love you. And, the, the, and she had gone from so much hurt and rejection all the way to being to tell her mom, I love you. And she's like, and that's because of Michael. And we were all just like, mm, I love hearing that story. So sharing good memories of the deceased. Number two, praying, praying together, specifically around the subject of mourning, grief, death, and, and to bless friends and family that are left behind. Um, Number three, reading from the scriptures. This is probably my favorite thing to do during these, during these times. Reading from the scriptures. Now, even though reading from the scriptures is very specific during a, a Shiva observance, it is not a time for encouragement. It is not a time for joy. It's a time to consider death. Again, we don't have a lot of opportunities to do that. So passages about death including passages about God's judgment, what will the throne room of God be when we when we face him, and God's promises after death are appropriate, as are passages about heaven and redemption. You could almost think of, of, of a morning group like that. We're kind of a death study group. We're here to just learn from God's word. What does he have to say about death? And there's a whole lot more to say about death than anybody can fit into a funeral service. So it's a great time to consider all these things, to take these things seriously. So consider Shiva a time of open study for the community regarding death. We should know more of God's heart around these matters after having participated even for an hour. And, and then the, the last thing, as I already said, this is the fourth thing, is sitting in silence. And let, let, the, let the family lead the way. If they want to sit in, uh, for hours in silence, let it be so. Because presence and community is the aim, not content. There is not, I've already said this, but there is not a green light for casual, lighthearted talk. 
now if the sort of mourners the the closest ones turn the conversation to something more upbeat um like well let's talk about the their crazy quirks okay great we can all we can all do that we don't have to be heavy but uh, somebody who's dropping in and making a, a shiva call they don't they don't get to just walk in and go let me tell you a great joke he told me one time no that's not how it works um so otherwise the content remains memories prayers scriptures and silence it it, it doesn't have to be a somber time but it, it usually is just one more thing to say about this practice is the way that it's ended i think is really interesting and cool ending shiva is usually done before lunch but the host family could change that if they want to there should be blessings read at the end because this is this was a holy protected time not not unlike a, a a feast or a festival so you read blessings at the end of the time such as isaiah 60 20 which says no more will your sun set nor your moon be darkened for god will be an eternal light for you and your days of mourning shall end and then the formal end of this shiva comes when mourners who happen whoever happens to be there at that time this is a really cool little thing. Everyone goes outside and you take a walk around the block together. And that symbolizes we're returning back to normal society. And after everyone's walked around the block, you disperse, you take the coverings off the mirrors, you can brush your hair, have a shave, whatever, and then it's done. So I just throw that out to people because that feels so, so foreign to to the idea of actually having a having a time and i and i'm just here to tell you having a, a time to discuss death to discuss the scriptures to process through our emotions with each other in prayer communally um, and just to just protect a window of of mourning and grieving is awesome i just think it's wonderful so i i wanted to throw that out to people as a recommended practice and we'll, well, I'll write an article around it. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for that. That's something I didn't really know about. But uh, I think we better let people go or there's going to be funerals that happen like in the midst of this episode. <laughs> there might be a time of mourning for how long it's gotten. There could be. You could even... <laughs> Yeah, people could sit Shiva for Abraham's wallet and then <laughs> s- switch over to um, Joel Osteen or something that's going to respect their yeah, time. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps so. Okay, well, um, bless us all and, and, and uh, whatever grief we face. As Job says, we know it's coming. That's the thing. We all know these times are coming for us eventually all of our parents are dying that's going to happen all of your aunts and uncles are dying so we think that it's wise to to know what to do with someone's finances it's wise to know what to do um, spiritually for your family to talk through the family line how do i honor the dead how do i bless people at a funeral and what does god say about these things it's it is i think it is a really important moment for your family so we all want to be able to capitalize on it. Amen. Stephen, we uh, as an Abraham's Wallet community, I know they'll be hearing this after it's over, but they can join me in blessing you as you honor your family tomorrow. Thank you so much. All right, Mark. Talk to you later. Bye.